0: Products and practices of the alcohol industry cause a massive burden of harm. Some of this harm, however, receives more public and policy attention than other harms. One of the most severe aspects of alcohol's social harms is the impact that parental alcohol problems has on children. In Europe alone, 9 million children are growing up in households with alcohol problems. This number is likely being an underestimate. The severity of the harm is compounded by society's disregard and even ignorance of the issues. And that is why we dive into an in-depth conversation today with one of the leading organizations working to bring change and protect the health and rights of children of households with alcohol problems. Hello, from Movendi International, I am Mike Dunbier. Warm welcome to the Alcohol Issues Podcast. This is the third episode of our second season. Thank you for tuning in. The Alcohol Issues Podcast is an original production by Muvendi International. It's a show about current alcohol issues of global importance. Through in depth conversation with policymakers, community leaders, and scientists, We explore alcohol policy issues, discuss landmark scientific studies and expose the alcohol industry. This episode is special because it's part of COA Week, the International Awareness Week to bring attention to the challenges children face when alcohol harm affects their homes. There's no better guest to speak to about this important and often overlooked child rights issue than NECOA UK, that has been working for several decades to help vulnerable children and bring about change. So I'm really excited to welcome Piers Hendricks, NECOA's communications lead. Piers has been around for the full 32 years of NECOA's journey to protect and promote the health and rights of children growing up in households affected by alcohol problems. Among other things, Pierce has created a worldwide community of organizations advancing this cause. And he is also masterminding NECOA's Widening Access program, which we will discuss in detail later on. We recorded our conversation on Thursday, February 10, 2022. United Kingdom, 2.6 million children are growing up in homes with parental alcohol use problems. That is one in five children are growing up in households that are affected by alcohol harm. Piers and I talk about the extent of the problem and what it's like for children to be exposed to alcohol harm in their homes. We talk about what the children experience and what parental alcohol problems actually means for children. We also discuss stigma, the importance of a child-centered approach and the lack of services and support for affected children and their parents. Piers shares about the groundbreaking work NECOA is doing and their two major projects. And we talk about the big picture to answer the question, what needs to happen for change and who has the responsibility to bring about change. Hello, Piers. Thanks for joining the Alcool Issues podcast. Uh, I think it's uh, really great that you take time to talk with me. And I think it's a really important uh, opportunity to talk with you because next week is KoA uh, week uh, for Muvendi International, a very important week in our year. And I think very important for NkOA as well. And I think we'll discuss what NkOA is doing, what COA week is. Um, But I want to actually get into the subject uh, of talking about children who grow up in households with alcohol problems by asking you, peers in the United Kingdom where you are working, what is this problem like? How big is it? Um, What is it that children are experiencing uh, when they uh, grow up in families with alcohol problems in, in households? So, can you give me an 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 understanding of what it is that you are dealing with actually in the uk
1: yeah of course yeah yeah thank you for having me mike it's it's really nice to be here um so nicoa is is a national association of children so it's, it's a national charity and and it sort of provides a service for everybody who's affected and so we're kind of interested then in the kind of the big numbers around the uk and you know current stats seem to show that about one in five people in the UK are affected by this problem, by a problem of, um, parental alcohol misuse within the family. So it's, it's a huge issue. That means 2.6 million children in the UK are affected in some way by this. So it's absolutely enormous. And for the people at the hard end of it, where drinking becomes a real problem, they face isolation, um, lack of money, disruption, sometimes abuse, and all sorts of neglect, which go on to impact their lives in later life. So there are kind of implications in the moment, there are problems that happen in school, there are problems that happen for the health of young people, they feel on their own. But these problems also cascade down the line, they they become issues as um, people grow into their adult lives, these, they don't often go away, especially if the drink problem isn't resolved Uh, in the uk we're not doing a particularly great job of helping people with an alcohol problem in themselves only one in five people are in touch with any care at all so that means there's 80 percent of people who are completely out of connection with any sort of service and they have an alcohol problem themselves so so we have a kind of a constellation of issues here there's a there's a there's a series of problems but at the very At the very hard end of it, where the kind of the real hidden harm lies is in these children who just face so many adverse circumstances that go on to affect lives in all sorts of different ways.
0: Now, you have mentioned, I think, very many important things. So I want to unpack this a little bit. When you say that children who grow up in households um, where one or maybe both parents have alcohol problems, addiction, alcohol use disorder, when you say that these children experience a lack of money, I think we can understand what's happening, that lots of household resources are spent on, on alcohol. When you say isolation and disruption, what does that mean? Um, for these children? What is it that you are seeing there?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's completely key to our work because we've just gone through this huge um, period of isolation that's been enforced, you know, because of COVID. And so therefore, it's kind of, it's it's really on our minds because isolation is one of the worst effects of of living with a a parent who has a, a very bad drinking problem because so often it's kept secret there's uh there's the kind of the mantra which is don't talk don't trust don't feel you don't tell anybody outside of the family because you bring shame on the family and you um and and there's also the the, the threat of social services getting involved that you can create disruption for your family that that really as a child you should grow up quickly and sort out these problems for the for your family because it's kind of your responsibility because the parent in some ways has been compromised by their addiction and that's incredibly isolating for a child because they are forced by their families sometimes and and by the people that are closer to them the people they love the most to not convey their feelings to not communicate their feelings with other people Um, and obviously you know just reflecting back to what i was saying about covid the last couple of years we've seen people being forced home forced you know forced to stay at home and if if the problem is developing or staying the same or you know with with um, with a parent who drinks too much then you're actually doing the opposite of what you what you should be doing because the whole all of all of our advice is really about saying you know get out speak to somebody find some help do things that help you to put in place healthy structures for your own life especially if a parent doesn't result isn't addressing the issue um so so isolation in itself is a, is a huge issue um and um and it's uh, it's the thing that we can do easiest, I think, as organizations to to help people feel less alone by just making this conversation happen. By you and me having this chat, it helps to disseminate our kind of messages and that will eventually trickle through to society. And I think we're making a difference on that. Yeah, and
0: I think this point, um, how uh, parental alcohol problems are connected to a larger societal approach to alcohol so that we still as a society don't really recognize how alcohol use problems actually look like, what, what it is that they are about, that they are not about uh, immoral behavior of an individual yeah. who is not able to consume alcohol as everybody else. And I think you mentioned then the, the shame, I think, this uh, responsibility, even I mean the burden that children take on themselves to protect their, uh, parents to protect their siblings if if they may have. And um, yes. I think it really highlights this kind of societal problem that, that we have with ELCO that we can, I think, if we would look through the eyes of children at this, we would clearly see that that we need to do better. And you mentioned also the lack of services both for parents, but how does it look like for children are, I mean... 2.6 million children, one in five. Uh, most of them go to school, even if they might have uh, academic problems. But are at least the children getting help, or how is it for them?
1: Well, well, not enough for getting help. That's that's the truth of it, and that's a worldwide issue, and that's why kind of CoA Week, Children's Colleagues Week which has been running for 14 years is, is sort of an international movement because it's something we need to address as a kind of, as a, as a world because alcohol is so widespread. Um, but, but talking specifically about the UK, it's it's a mixed picture, I'd say. Um, about six or seven years ago, we did a freedom of information request, which is a sort of a legal process you can go through in the UK to ask the government questions that it doesn't want to publicly answer. You can legally ask certain questions and they have to answer. And, um, and we found out that not a single local authority in the UK had a, had a plan for these children. So they had out, uh, they had plans for alcohol they had, um, in their area, they had plans for antisocial behavior. They had plans for social services, you know, but they didn't have anything put in place for these children, which was just quite shocking. It really mm. shows the kind of the, the neglect we've been, um, showing these children. And, and we did some campaigning and we actually were quite successful to get the government to put in place some a strategy and 2018 they announced the strategy, the UK government, to, to everyone's surprise, and there was a little bit of funding put together, but there was more of an emphasis placed at a local level to create a plan, just a plan, just, just what, what happens if these kids get, you know, um, get put in front of a social service, what, what do you do? And, um, and that's increased, it's not enough. I think it was sort of seven or nine sort of local authorities put in place sort of specifically funded projects, but they are actually currently in the process of being cut. <laughs> so it's only been a few mm-hmm. years and all the funding's been cut. Um, there is, we're slowly getting there, but in terms, but as as services go, there are kind of two or three national services. So NACOA is one. There's um, ADFAM who are kind of a family-based charity who run groups. And there's um, a charity called Alcohol Change who are a big kind of NGO charity. There are some good charities around, but they're they're massively underfunded. We are the poor cousin of 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 the health, you know, charitable world. It's um not something people really want to think about very much. Um, yeah. Because we have this narrative around alcohol, it's something we like to do, and we don't really want to think about the consequences.
0: Yeah, and I think the consequences as a society we must face because I think you put it also very well that there are of course the adults who make the rules um, the government and then also the adults who uh, experience the problems with alcohol uh, on massive scale uh, as you have explained and then these problems cascade down they affect children to the degree that children don't even find their homes as uh, safe spaces anymore and so uh, that becomes i think a generational challenge where some of these problems mental health issues That you have just alluded to so far where they are passed down and i think we will get back to this also to unpack these things a little bit more i think this massive neglect of these very very vulnerable children but you have already i think given me a good transition um to nekoa what is it can you explain a little bit more in detail a little bit more broadly what is it that NACOA is uh, working on? I think, I mean, I follow your work, very impressed and inspired by it. I think that there are even some standout pieces of work that you have been doing uh, in the last couple of years. So what is NACOA and, and what is it that you mainly do?
1: Yes, yeah, so NACOA, at the very heart of it, NACOA is a helpline. So it's a free confidential helpline for anybody affected in the UK. But we do actually speak to people outside of the UK as well. But... Um, Primarily, it's a UK charity. It's important to have phone contact, email contact, online chat contact with somebody, no matter where you are because of the issues we've already talked about in terms of isolation, the sense that you need to keep secret. So if you can empower yourself with some information and speak with somebody who cares, it makes an enormous difference. We know that that kind of teachable moment is early. And if we can give early intervention, then that is absolutely crucial. And it doesn't happen enough. But fortunately, NACOA is here it's a small charity but it has a kind of quite a big impact quite a big sort of punch and over the years we've kind of become a national voice I I suppose you might say for children affected by the parents drinking problems and and adults affected by parental drinking problems and and so we've so as well as our kind of our crucial services which are helpline based we also do sort of campaigning in parliament in public in the media to share stories really and that's the kind of a big part of our our work these days is to share stories and to to help people just be able to make connections with the, but you know between each other and and with our organization so that they can not feel alone so helping
0: children um directly so to say providing support helping them to understand the situation they are in helping them understand that they are not responsible uh, or the cause of uh, their parents' uh, problems. And then also changing the national conversation, the the national awareness, Um, like you were saying, the national awareness about these kids actually being left alone, um, maybe even abandoned by society. So these are the main things, if I summarize what what NECOA is doing
1: yeah and it's and it's a children's charity nicoa speaks to people of all ages um but um but well over a third of our our uh, our 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 contacts will be with with young people so under 20 Mm. and under 25 so people as young as children as young as five have called the helpline wow um so it's quite astonishing work really and um i don't actually work on the helpline but the people who do work on it are are really, really brilliant, and I, I'm just yeah, I'm in awe of them, really. And did you see that
0: calls to the helpline or children reaching out uh, during the pandemic, you explained even the heightened severity of uh, the experiences, if you have nowhere else to go but to stay at home due to COVID countermeasures, uh, you are even more exposed to your home not being uh, safe. So I would assume that numbers are rising, but I don't know, maybe if you can't get away from your parents, you also cannot call. So what did you see during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, it's a good point about being kind of um, squeezed into one space. Does does limit the sort of the ability of kids. I mean, we've been told that it's it's difficult because you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, imagine you hear your child or hear a child upstairs speaking on the phone, hear, you know, someone speaking, you know, it's, there are limits especially when you can only go out for an hour a day but, mm. but you're right that you're right to say that calls did go up in ice in when we were in lockdown so they actually doubled at times and um and that was largely made up of of young people so that's the under mm. 25 demographic which is really worrying and and it's good to know that the charity was there and it was working that people could find us that's what we want because what we were finding was, is that during lockdown services were closing their doors Mm. and schools were obviously closing their doors. It makes it much more difficult for those incidental moments. You know, the time, you know, you might on a zoom chat, it's very difficult to have the moment with the child where you say, are you okay? Mm. Or you notice they're acting out and, or maybe they, their clothes seem like haven't been washed or they don't have money for dinner or for lunch or dinner and you say how are you are You Are okay and then you get a sense there of the kind of pastoral care you can give as a teacher which is completely vital I mean teachers are completely central to all of this with all of that taken away there's it, there's not much left and so fortunately there is something such as NACO in the UK where people can call and find information but but we were seeing the issues were getting very severe so we could see in real time we were watching it in real time on the helpline Problems getting worse people saying that financial issues were causing stress in the house that kind of the kind of claustrophobic feel of the household was making people angry that sort of violence was spilling over and and that was definitely getting worse so it wasn't just the quantity of calls which were going up which is true call numbers did go up to the helpline but the quality of the calls as well were very concerning and we're only now really seeing starting to see that wash out in the national numbers about about drinking in the uk which have gone Massively up. We've we're seeing twenty percent increase uh, alcohol deaths every year now since twenty nineteen, yeah. which is shocking, and we could see yeah. it in real time in the happening, and it's it's very disturbing. But but as I say, having you know, you have to take take comfort, I suppose, in the fact that there is you know that's at least people found us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, for me listening to you and working with uh, some of our member organizations in Movendi International who, uh, similar to NACOA, who provide um, helplines, who provide uh, safe spaces for uh, children to come to, um, to have refuge, to find shelter, or just to be able to be a child like you were referring to. They have to take on adult roles. They have to shoulder um, uh, i think responsibilities that uh, children should not have to shoulder and to yeah. provide spaces for them to uh, get to where they can be children lighthearted carefree i think that always gets me so i listen to this and i'm like wow when when home is the most dangerous place for these children right. society should step up and provide these kinds of environments this kind of support like you are saying this early identification that uh, teachers can provide, but also maybe football uh, coaches, you know, in, in these spaces where children are youth leaders. But right now, society is not at all stepping up and even cutting these services. And and so that, that really gets me. So in, that's why I said earlier also that this COA week, that is a big week for uh, Muvendi members every year. And I think this is really a week that Nacoa in the UK has made big. And now I can see that it's in South Korea. Uh, I think yeah. some African countries start picking it up. Of course, there are colleagues in the United States and in Germany. Um, can you explain what the COA Week is and why it matters? Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's. You've given a good. You've given a good account of it there, actually, Mike. Um, from our perspective, it was something we created about 14 years ago to, 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 just, to just give a moment, because so often the kids are the forgotten aspect of this. And you know, there's quite a lot of campaigning done around alcohol. We've always been kind of, there have been times in the past where children have been sidelined on this conversation. And that goes into sort of the fellowship system as well as kind of public policy so let's just give a week where we can talk about children and, and and the families affected so so that was kind of created 14 years ago and it was just the idea to create coffee mornings and and moments where people could share a leaflet or have a conversation have a cup of tea and but over the years it's grown a lot and it's become a sizable social media movement which is really nice people tend to share on their personal stories but also organizations and some organizations are every year people pop up I don't know I don't recognize I'm delighted to know that they do some stuff you know because I feel like I've been in the space for ages I feel like I know everyone and then suddenly you find out here's another organization that do some great mm. stuff and you can find out about them so that's really important there's also this huge international contingent as you say now I mean you're you're, you're a part of that I mean you're you're as central as I am you know to all of this because it's all about kind of making those connections with people who are affected and so whenever anyone takes up this mission you can you know just by by making one sort of um light bulb moment we call it in the uk you know that light bulb goes on and you have an idea with somebody affected then you've done your job and what we've managed to do is to spread this not just around the uk but also the world it's like you say is africa south america brazil us uh india south korea have come on board as the last year we've got a um, new uh uh we've got uh, a new organization just joined from finland so there's a coa finland this year for the first year every year it's kind of growing 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 snowballing i noticed the finland numbers are one in four so they think it's 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 as bad in finland as anywhere else in terms of alcohol misuse and families so so it's um so it's a chance to just give just to shed some light on this issue for a little while and and also share amongst countries about our wisdoms and and we can we can take we can sort of learn from each other's differences but also take warmth and um from each other's from from that sense of familiarity that we can that we're all kind of connected in some way across the world um and you know, we're not just alone in this country but we're we're not alone around the world there are people like us everywhere
0: yeah now we have mentioned this um uh... NECOA and COA week, so the COA, uh, you said earlier, also appears the children of alcoholics term. And I want to ask you about the term because um, I am a little bit uh, unsure whether to think it's a good term or it's a, it has some issues. It's a problematic term. And let me ask you like this. Um, the other day I read... Uh, a story about Wayne Rooney, maybe one of England's uh, best football players ever. Um, And for, I think, a few years, even one of the top international players. And the story was that uh, he has uh, talked about that he actually consumed lots of alcohol uh, during his uh, time at Manchester United. And I was struck by Wayne uh, saying that he, he was not an alcoholic He didn't have an alcohol problem, but he was planning when he could, you know, binge consume alcohol there in three, four days when when he maybe didn't have a match coming up. And for me, it just symbolized this problematic societal way of identifying or not being able to identify what an alcohol use problem is and what an alcoholic is, because I can understand where Wayne is coming from In our societies, we think an alcoholic is a homeless person who really doesn't have their life together anymore. And Wayne thought, well, I am not that because in a few days, I'll be on the pitch and and I'll score goals and I'll lead my team to victory, so to say. So I must have my life together. But here he is anyway talking about, I mean, this is not normal behavior for a high-performing professional athlete. And the best ones uh, uh, don't uh, consume alcohol like that during the season at the at the peak of the most important part of the season. So I thought I can bring this, you know, just these reflections to this conversation where on the one hand, I think Children of Alcoholics, COA is part of your name, is part of the week and part of your success is that this has been established a little bit uh, not to the same degree but like dry january you just need to say yeah. it and people have an idea of what it is and why it's good so to say what it does um but on the other hand we we keep saying alcoholic like we are labeling people's experiences and they don't really reflect what the problem actually is about and I wanted to hear what you are thinking about this, whether you are um, talking in, in NACOA about this, how to get away from the stigma around alcohol problems where I think the term alcoholic might contribute, but still, you know, having a good term that establishes that there are children that are affected by parental alcohol use problems. So what is your thought process around this, peers?
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's something obviously we know very much about it's um uh, I, I I take on everything you say And uh, she's you, the Wayne Rooney example is a really good one because he uh, as you say said I didn't know if I was an alcoholic or I don't I don't think I was an alcoholic or that there's this kind of threshold a magical threshold that somebody re- that reaches and and tips over into becoming an alcoholic or an alcohol dependent I mean those those unit those things do exist I mean there is the audit test so There is kind of a unit basis where you would say at some point you become an alcohol dependent, which roughly people would say would be an alcoholic. But, and, but I mean, the, but the, the, of the quality, the quality of that issue that you you talked about with, with Wayne Rooney is I, I didn't think I was, or I didn't, didn't know I was. And actually on the helpline, one of the, one of the things we hear again and again is I don't know if my dad or I'm, I i do not know if my mum is an alcoholic or I don't think Mm -hmm. they are. And then you have to be able to sort of have that conversation where you say, well, well let's let's leave that term aside and let's talk about what's happening what's what's actually the the presenting issues and then you get into the the real conversation then you get to the heart of the issue and very often you find that there's a kind of a gray area that maybe it's binge drinking I mean there's a binge drinker an alcoholic they might consume the same number of um, uh, units per week uh, on the audit test but they might not be kind of drinking in the morning you know how do you qualify these things and it's an incredibly tricky area of grammar. I mean, my as my other side of my life is in English. Like, uh, I'm I, mean, I sort of a lecturer in English uh, for Cambridge University, and I I don't know how you get around this issue whilst keeping the children at the front because you need to have a subject and an object, and and the subject is the children, the object is the alcoholic in that in that term. So either you extend the the the, the adult um, noun exponentially so you either say child of an alcohol dependent parent and then lots of people don't like that and it also isolates people whose parents don't qualify as alcohol dependent so you'd have to say child of um, child of somebody with an alcohol problem and then all of these words are kind of piling up at the end of the term which kind of really shadow the child so so it's, it's a difficult aspect of grammar that a subject needs an object and the object very often is um is um an, an abbreviation so it kind of contracts a whole load of ideas a whole load of issues into one particular word now we have an issue around the word alcoholic in the sense that it it brings a kind of a cultural baggage we all have an um the, as you say there's this misconception of park benches and you know homeless people and you know the, the de- de- degeneration of of morals all sorts of things um and we, and we accept that and so what nicoa tries to do is use a mixed register so if you read any of our stuff Nikoah isn't saying are alcoholics everywhere and if you if you look at the kind of the language we use it it's mixed but it's very very important and i stress this you know as with everything i have that being a child affected by these things is a thing and you have to have an identification in some sense. you have to give some kind of short term which means something to people in in the moment and and child and alcoholic children of alcoholics is the term that people have been using for well over you know a couple of decades to change it. you need you need we need a um a reasonable alternative and there aren't any reasonable alternatives in terms of that problem as I said, where you need a subject and an object, so child yeah. of an alcoholic. To keep the child at the front or at least balanced against those parents you need to have that that abbreviation and so yeah so it's, it's a question that is constantly coming up um personally i feel that there's a huge amount of time put into the framing the language stuff which could be put into other <laughs> work yeah. but i do i do understand people's you know we understand the issues around uh language um but yeah so So, yeah, I'll just leave that there. I'll let you respond to that, I think.
0: I think it's remarkable. You have said many insightful things, uh, in my opinion, now, Piers. I think it's remarkable to hear that children, when they call or when they reach out to NACOA, they obviously want some form of help. But they are so, I think, in my opinion, they are so intelligent, so mindful. They don't want to attach the stigma to their parents. So I think I, I have heard this from you now, when the child reaches out to NACOA, that child does that because there is a problem. They don't really know how to identify it. They, they want the help with this, I would say. Um, but they for sure don't want this societal stigma of alcoholic on their parents. So even there, like you said earlier, they actually try to protect Their parents also, and and, and I think it's quite remarkable how aware they are, uh, the children about this. And so I take from this conversation, I think this is really insightful because I take from it, yeah, this is a great point that the children need to be in focus, their experiences. And I think we as society, we have to create bigger space that, as you were saying, it doesn't need to be alcohol dependence or addiction that causes the problematic experiences and where the kid doesn't feel safe or where they start worrying about their parents can be binge alcohol consumption or can be some other way of of alcohol consumption Um, I think if a kid feels unsafe or feels worried and reaches out I think that is valid and and I think that needs to be uh, the focus here so that is what what I would take away from from your reflections about this uh, concept
1: yeah this is um it, it it's the most difficult part of our work this. I mean and it's and in some ways it's kind of the most it's the most frustrating part <clears throat> because what you really want to do is talk about the issues. Um and I think um and this is an issue, but I you know, I think it, it can't it can't be underestimated that the way that people find services is by using a short search term. Mm. and children don't have parental alcohol misuse disorder to hand mm. they don't have alcohol dependency to hand they have the word alcoholic because that's the language of normal people and i and i do think you know it's that can't be under understated really because that's how people find nicoas by searching that term that's the term that people search. you know our google analytics show that that's how people find our our support and our and our our work so you know let's not I sometimes think sort of there is a temptation to uh, apply jargon where there doesn't always need to be I think we need to use plain language and and to be able to address this issue we need to be able to use plain language um, and the language of real people um, but it's uh it's a generational issue that we need to probably work through over time
0: yeah and I also take your point that um, it's uh, I mean you work with it um, in in your other part of uh, life language language matters language uh, also helps uh, shape norms and understandings but it's also important or not but but at the same time it's important to focus on the important work that needs to be done especially in this context of this vast gap uh, this vast lack of services of support for these yeah, children definitely. so uh, then Let's get back, let's take this key uh, point and let's get back to discussing a little bit more about uh, the important work that NACOA is doing, Piers. What are some of the biggest initiatives um, that NACOA is working on? I have to say that uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about this manifesto that you've been working on. I think you have done tremendous advocacy work with members of parliament. So I'm interested in this manifesto. And uh, I think you are involved in the widening access uh, project as well. Maybe these are the big things you're working on. Maybe I have missed some, some things. So what are the big pieces of work that you are moving forward?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I think those two things are probably the, in terms of my, my work, that's really where a lot of emphasis is. So the the manifesto is, um, is actually the kind of, the mission statement, really, for the APPG for COAs. So that's the All-Party Parliamentary Group, Children of colleagues. We've been very successful. And so it gets back a little bit to language stuff at communicating this around the UK. We've, we've actually got we've actually had a very good sort of impact, and it led to some strategy initiatives in 2018. Uh, that's so, the Piers, but...
0: there is actually, I think this is important, there's actually a specific group in the UK Parliament that... Pays attention to, yeah, the issue of COA. Yeah, I think yep. that is remarkable. It might be one of the few countries or the only country in the world where there is this kind of infrastructure and political commitment.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It is remarkable, isn't it? Um, yeah, very proud of it because it's mm-hmm. um because it's something that has um grown out of NACOA. Um, mm-hmm. there's a there's an MP called Liam Byrne. He he um he was a minister for labour you know very influential politician and and he was affected by this himself his his father died of um from his um from his alcohol long term alcohol use in uh, twenty fifteen I think it was and then he mm-hmm. sort of walked into the office of NACOA and spoke to uh, the chief executive Hillary and said I want to do something and somehow he managed to get a, a debate together. The debate led to people coming up to him and he said that there's this huge number of members of parliament who are affected by this that wow. It's a disproportionate number and it reflects a little bit how we are as a group that there is a lot of overachieving happening because you're making up probably for something that happened in your child or that you know you've always had to strive to be as best you know as best as you can or to be the hero child anyway so there are lots of mps who sort of reached out to him and they created this parliamentary group which is a formal thing it's a structural thing so it's part of our mm-hmm. government of our parliament now not part of the government part of the parliament and um, and we hear we hear evidence and we meet every year at least once to to share experiences and also prepare policy suggestions for the future and as i say because because we had that kind of specificity because it had a clarity of purpose it, it was impactful and it's and it's led to real change genuine change
0: and the manifesto is actually, as you were saying, the foundational document for this parliamentary group. Do I understand that
1: correctly? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it it argues for um, uh, so best social integration for children. So that means you know education, health. What are the policies that are put in place when a when a liver specialist um, gives somebody a diagnosis of it's close to the liver what happens with the family at the moment there's nothing stuff like that also that the government um supports help help helplines like NACOA, creates national provision for services and also um creates real local authority if not specific services um mechanisms where people can find help and empower themselves with information so they can go on and break the cycle and live happy lives that's the idea um but, um, but I can share it with you, and it's um it's got about sort of ten or twelve points on there but um but it but it argues from that kind of structural level, it's looking to try and improve national service and local provision.
0: yeah, excellent. I think we can put a link to even the parliamentary group uh, in the show notes, and then I think the manifesto uh, that should be put in the show notes, and I think it's really good to hear that. Now you are working on advancing solutions to actually closing some of the gaps in service provision and in uh, uh, making more help available to more people. In a way, Piers, it's a staggering number that there there is actually an over-representation among members of parliament yeah. who have these adverse childhood experiences. But it's also not surprising, right? If you tell me that it's 2.6 million children in the UK, one in five are affected by alcohol use problems in in the household where they grow up. Of course, that actually is then present in the workplace and the parliament is a workplace as well. And that brings us to the other big piece of work that you are doing. What is the widening access project? I might have an idea from uh, the term, but what are you doing there?
1: Yeah, so this is this is a, a new piece of NACOA work, um, which is trying to sort of, is trying to make sure that nobody feels excluded from being able to use NACOA, Because as I explained at the beginning, the whole idea of NACOA is that it's there for everybody. That we all sh- that we share these experiences, and we can. And 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 the beauty of a kind of um, of a universal access solution is that. People feel comfortable getting in touch. They don't feel the kind of a consequence that you know. If I walk into a some kind of um, local centre, walking over the threshold, you don't have that fear of contact. However, maybe there are underrepresented, underrepresented um, minority groups, ethnic groups who who go through these problems but don't find help. Mm-hmm. So we want to ask question why, and that's that's the process we're in at the moment. Is asking why that might be. So gathering information, doing some research. Um, we're doing that specifically with uh, Punjabi and Sikh people in the UK. So mm-hmm. actually, there's um, we could talk about this for a while, but um, but to put it to put it quickly, Punjabi it, it, like the the Sikh religions it it, it it prohibits alcohol in theory, but socially there is a huge emphasis on alcohol in terms of social structure, in terms of um, uh, hospitality, in terms of weddings. And there is a very, very large instance of of alcohol problems in in Punjabi and Sikh communities, but they are massively underrepresented in terms of people finding help. Mm. That goes at all levels, social, like at local level, at national level, at AA, um, within um, um, you know um, uh, national health service provided alcohol care. So, so why is that? And it, because we can see that the stats tell us one in four people are affected by this problem in, in Punjabi, in secrecy. So it's a more severe problem than in a, at, a, at a wider national level. Yeah. Now it seems like that maybe there is even more shame placed on these families around alcohol problems. There's even more stigma. There's even, uh, there's an even greater sense of um omerta protecting the family, keeping the family secret. Yeah. Um So we need to understand why that is. And and partly as well, it's just about being able to reflect people's experiences. So that's something the cover does very well. Like we show stories. We don't we don't sort of show one particular type of experience because given given an equal opportunity given an equal, equal opportunity environment, which alcohol very often is, it's everywhere. Alcohol doesn't discriminate by your culture, your wealth. It's something that transcends all of those things.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah. So uh, so we need to do better to be representative as well and that's not just a it's not a tokenistic thing so it's not something we just do in a trivial sense we don't just sort of put out some images and some text. we um we we want to really find out about this issue and then be able to reflect it better because we know that people go to our website and then they'll they'll write Punjabi Sikh into the search bar if they don't get a response what do they do they think this isn't Mm. for me and then they go somewhere else and they might not even find help for themselves so that um, and that the idea for that is that we will um, grow this over time so we can start to look at other communities so we're interested in maybe um, people from Jewish backgrounds um, people from um, from uh, African backgrounds as well so this can go on and on and and maybe you know it doesn't have to necessarily be about um, minority racial um, aspects it can also be thinking about kind of LGBT those kinds of things as well where relationships with alcohol might might look similar but have some crucial differences
0: yeah i th- i'm thinking now next monday uh, for koa week we have an event and um, with the title no child left behind and i think that's what the widening access uh, project yeah. is really about that i think you have described it really well it's so uh, i think remarkable to reflect that yeah the, there is overall society, like the majority society, and then in subgroups in minority groups, the problem is even bigger. And I mean, the problem in itself overall is really big. And then, like you were saying, one in four uh, among the Punjabi and Sikh community are affected here. So it's really about leaving no child behind, making uh, these services available. I think... Allowing people, like you were saying, to find themselves in the story of of another person. I think you guys do a great job of making also these stories available. I think it reduces even this kind of sense of isolation where the kids, you know, they try to bury the secret, protect the family. And then they, by definition, they don't talk with anybody. So they don't know that it's one in five or one in four. And that would actually mean that probably in the same classroom they would have a friend where they could actually talk together and help each other and i think the stories that you make available they help there and and hopefully you will have big success in really leaving no child behind going forward
1: yeah yeah <clears throat> i just feel like i should also just add on to the acts stuff um i think it's it's also the the kind of part of the structure of the project we're trying to do is to 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 speak with authorities on the subject, so not just sort of finding people who've been affected and taking their stories, but working with people who run kind of either recovery organisations or, um, or or um, cultural literacy um, organisations. And when you work with them, there we've had this amazing experience. People, um, there's a guy called Sohan Sahota who works for Back In and um, Jaz Rai who works for the Seek Recovery Network. These people are amazingly open, and they're sat there waiting and ready. To help share but they've but they've just been at times just sidelined and maybe just not even noticed because maybe there's this kind of minority thing because we're always trying to look for a national story a national like sense of identity but actually when you do that you sometimes do miss people out and so it's about kind of building a kind of um an area of charity governance it's a bit of a boring aspect to the work mm. but it's about crying that a charity is only really as good as this governance and the people who work for it and 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 actually, within that, sometimes you might have kind of spots that you're missing out on. So it's OK to go out and find people who come on as kind of as part of that governance to create a widening access panel, for example, which is what we've done. And they can help influence you in positive ways. So, mm-hmm. so, so that's part of the work as well as kind of is working with other organizations, really.
0: <laughs> and that brings me to my final question, actually. Um, this is a big question. So... I think it's really for the way forward. This is a big problem, I think, a big societal problem that is uh, disregarded, maybe even ignored. And I wanted to ask you, Piers, what do you think needs to happen for change on the structural level, on the service provision level? And who has the responsibility really to bring about change? The parliamentary group, the government, uh, the the civil society world that you now also referenced, even you know, NACOA doing better homework. So what needs to happen for real change for these children and who has the responsibility to make that happen?
1: Yes. <clears throat> it's a big it's a big question around for NGOs. To what extent do we create this work for ourselves and take responsibility on our own shoulders as kind of voluntary organizations or as organizations that go out and fundraise from donations things like that and to what extent does responsibility lie with um the government as you've suggested so how much does the government just create just throw throw money at the at the issue and and create amazing stuff but at the expense of um of taxpayers and then, how much of it just lies with the individual? That people should just take responsibility for themselves, and you know, and for their their, their children. And the truth is that there's it's a balance between all of those things. At the moment, we see that the government is not taking enough of their um um of their share of the responsibility. Um. We have a responsibility as a charity to sort of fundraise for ourselves and to make our own work and to start things like winding access. And do that independently. It's important that we keep our independence of voice by not being a government organization, not always asking for government help. And and the kind of at the level of the individual, clearly, children don't have agency, so it's especially difficult for them to, you know, there's you know mental, talks around mental health. People always say, just reach out. It's okay to talk. Sometimes it's not okay to talk for these kids. Their agency is reduced significantly. So what can we do to help that to grow? And, and actually it does go back to kind of a collective problem again. So it, so it's about school teachers and it's about general awareness and it's about going in, giving talks in places, making sure that people just are aware that the family is a huge, um, is, is connected with alcohol problems. Cause so often it wasn't in the past, it was such an individualistic issue when people took it as a, as a health issue in the past. So. So to try and collect my thoughts on all those things what we need is a government strategy which gives some basic foundation to to allow us to kind of grow the conversation and liam burn so our the chair of the all-party parliamentary group he always says you know to um what you need to do is open the con you need to um you need to speak about these things properly in order to speak about them properly you have to organize the conversation and that's what happens at the government level you kind of You support, you know, so something like a NACOA, which is constantly kind of fighting, fighting for its survival. Make sure that there's just a a kind of a foundation which allows it to just go out and do its work properly. And then you can spread, you can disseminate information very easily around schools who are receptive, but just have are stretched with time so that everybody in a school gets a chance at least once to know about these problems, because it does. that's not Mm. in the curriculum in the UK. In in schools, Mm. there is no curriculum... There's no statutory um obligation for schools just to bring this up once it needs to happen because people we we've heard sorry to go i mean to, to say to add an anecdote recently i've been working with somebody who uh, runs an organization a local organization i won't say where and she was working with a head teacher with for a school's um classroom uh presentation about this issue mm-hmm and she got presented with the with the plan which was organized by public health england so a very official you know and, and worked with and and alongside Nacoa, a very official plan it was put together very reasonable and she said i don't think we've got any of these in our school hmm. you know <laughs> she, was, she had a school of about 500 kids or something like that so it's very statistically unlikely so she probably yeah. just hasn't noticed and and even if that is true even if by statistical miracles that is true it's still not the point. The point is that you should always have a chance to learn about these things so you know how to respond. Um, so that's kind of how government kind of policy can trickle down and make a difference. Yeah. Because then, then it empowers individuals to be able to help each other, to be more socially responsible, to to not speak um, disparagingly about alcohol, which I think is really the big problem. When we talk about the word alcoholic, I think the real issue is around stigma, around the issue itself not always just about a word the word is really is is really just the um it can be a red herring in this people feel badly about people who have drink problems and we need to be able to attack you know attack that stigma make make it I don't know reduce diminish so that we can have a more sensible attitude around alcohol issues because before we can do that then um, these kids are going to be stuck at home with um, with that sense of isolation. Um, For for decades to come, and and we don't want that to be the case.
0: I asked you a very big question, and I think you've given a great answer. So, I was even drawing here for me a little scheme. I have actually six elements uh, to the scheme. I think they are all interconnected, like you were explaining, also, Pierce. So, I think what needs to happen is the discourse and awareness need to improve discourse needs to improve awareness needs to be raised needs, needs to increase um, of that the problem exists how big the problem are what can be done uh, about the problem the children grow up in households with alcohol problems that is then feeding into better identification Where you this example in, in the schools where. Like you were saying also earlier, uh, during the pandemic, uh, I think the chances were reduced that uh, teachers could identify that something is off uh, with this uh, child, with this student. So identification, I think, is connected also to the level of awareness that, that teachers, even students who uh, train to become teachers should be probably trained in in this that's what some of our member organizations are working on then of course as you said services so actually to provide real help um, that is very much needed mental health support support for uh, children support for charities that that do this uh, work like you were explaining Uh, i noted down spaces so some of our member organizations they work with really providing safe spaces, free care, free spaces for for children if home is not safe. I think the pandemic has really highlighted how important that is. And that I think goes hand in hand with community support. I think you made a good point there that if awareness is improving, I think we can also be there for each other much better. So friends in school, we might identify, you know, two years ago, I was in a similar situation this is how we solved it. I can identify some of the things in your family now. Would you like to talk? Um, so community support and then policy and funding. I really like what uh, uh, member of parliament, Bern, has said, what you shared with us. Investing, you know, increasing the price uh, helps, of co- of course, reducing the problem. Uh, sh- I think government revenue uh, can be uh, in invested in some of the services so making more funding available and where it really can make a difference so these are then i think the six elements that uh, you have talked about that also resonate with me what i see our member
1: organizations are doing yeah yeah i think i think you're right yeah spaces spaces is that's, that's a crucial crucial point as well i don't think i've necessarily gone into that at all um as much as i might have but um but creating a safe space it can sound like um it can sound like a bit of a nebulous concept it can sound like something that doesn't sort of a bit, bit um a bit cloudy yeah as, as a concept but space is it's more than just kind of ground on the floor it's it's about it's about kind of creating as you say a moment where you're not completely consumed by the problems in your life we all need that but um and then for, for children it's especially important and and actually it's the time when those spaces are should be most open to you and and what we're looking at here is 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 very often the opposite of the case that actually home as as you to put i think you phrased it really nicely earlier on you said that you know home in some ways is the most dangerous place i mean can you imagine that feeling as a child it's um that mm. that that you don't know what you're going to find when you open the door you put your key in the lock what am I going to find completely unpredictable that's your safe space it should be and it's the opposite yeah. so it's uh it's not going away as a problem but what we can do is help to alleviate those issues and as you say how do we if that if that home space is not quite right how does the uh, as a society can we create spaces and that can be through an email it can be through Um, physical places in schools school nurses those kinds of things but um but if we could turn our attention to that then we'll make a massive difference I know that for sure
0: and I think this is a great reflection to wrap up our conversation today around spaces I really take your point that was one of the strong things uh, for me really one of the many you said peers that um, whatever we do, whatever we say, so to say that the child, the experience of the child that is uh, in, in a vulnerable situation has to be front and center. I think that matters for spaces, that matters for everything else that we talked about. And that matters, of course, also for COA week next week. So I want to say two things. Thank you very much for coming on. This was a fantastic conversation. And thank you for everything you are doing, uh, you, um, uh, Piers, and Hilary, and Coa, and good luck, really. That's the second thing uh, with the Coa week uh, next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to following you and, and the events that you're putting on. So thank you very much, uh, Piers, and uh, good luck for next week.
1: Thank you, Mike. We're huge fans of Mavendi. Anything we can do in the future, we're here for you. Thanks to
0: Piers Hendricks and Nicoa for taking the time to talk in depth about the reality of children growing up in households with alcohol problems and what society can do to better protect the health and rights of vulnerable children. This podcast episode is part of Movendi International's work to raise awareness about alcohol's social harms and bring about transformative change for children of households with alcohol problems. In the show notes, we share resources regarding the topics we addressed in the conversation with peers, such as the manifesto and the parliamentary group, as well as the widening access project. As ever, your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics and guests are most welcome please get in touch at mike.dynbier at You can also reach me on Twitter and you can find my contact details in the show notes. The Alcohol Issues Podcast is made by Arin Pinho, Taraka Ranchigoda and Kristina Sperkova. That's it for the Alcohol Issues Podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and found it insightful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay well and safe and talk to you soon.